Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. Hello, and welcome to the fourth gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 12th of April. I am your party leader, Brad Ludwig. Uh, We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and remember to burn your blood points wisely to avoid frenzy while you're gathered at the meeting table. My second in command here at the Adventure Party is Glenn Bittner. He is the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you, Glenn? I am exhausted from playing games all day yesterday. I was going to ask you, (laughs) we talked uh, last episode about how National Tabletop Game Day was on Saturday, and everybody was invited to Mike's house for gaming, right? Remember us talking about Mike? Yes. Mike's house to get... Wow. You are worn out, aren't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, for those of you that check out the Adventure Party... Oh my God! Words are failing me this evening. It's it's sad. It's very very sad state of affairs. If you follow us in the uh, Facebook group of Galactic Netcasts, I believe that Glenn, did you post a picture of the wall of board games that were available there at the Board Game Barrister in Milwaukee? I did post a picture of Castle Barrister. <laughs> that was that was insane. How tall was that stack of games? Uh, about seven feet. Only seven feet. Only wow. seven feet, and that was that was a, not quite half of what I had there. Oh, good lord! Well, what kind of turnout did you have? I don't have exact numbers, but I think I had probably over the course of the day about eighty different people. Wow! Playing games, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, quite pleased with the turnout. <laughs> nice. Well, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, our guest this evening. He is Dr. Randy Wolfmeyer. I just like saying doctor. <laughs> uh, I like hearing it, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hear it all that often, actually. <laughs> Randy uh, Wolfmeyer here has a Ph.D. in physics, and he teaches physics at John Wood Community College in Illinois. He's, you know, the, the interesting thing, and I've always really appreciated about Randy, is Randy, to me, destroys the stereotype of of a person who's very science-oriented and very good at science, but is also very creative. You know, you got the right brain, left brain thing going on there. Randy does a lot of photography and uh, very good stuff. Uh, you do. You had a number of photos that I really dug that uh, you actually had kind of photoshopped to make even cooler photos. Speaking of photos, uh, we're going to have a link. One of the things about this particular meeting, this episode, is that you need to check out the show notes. We are going to be talking about... Let me finish the introduction here. I'm all over the place. I apologize. My brain's just scattered. He's the father of two and an accomplished terrain builder. And that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about building terrain for your campaigns. We're going to talk about the ins and outs, things you should watch out for, how to plan a build, what materials you could possibly use, and how to take that dream project, that dream scenario that you have for your game 
and make a physical representation of it and work towards you know obviously the first time out is probably not going to be perfect but you know you practice it you work at it and uh, you too can can make some stunning stuff to get back to my previous idea Randy has been kind enough to put together a gallery of images of his terrain builds that he's done, and he's even included some plans, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. of, of of a couple of the projects that you've done. So yeah. this is kind of a very, you know, you're you're probably listening to this now, maybe on a treadmill, maybe at your desk. I encourage you to check out the show notes. And when I say the show notes, the information that goes along with these podcasts, wherever you get your RSS feed from, there's going to be a link to the gallery for you to be able to, you know, maybe after you listen to this, or if you're lucky enough to be listening to this at your desk, to actually check out that link and find that. And we'll even post it in the Galactic Netcasts gaming group uh, as well for you to take out, uh, take a look at these photos because, one, uh, Randy's an excellent photographer and took pictures of his stuff, and he built a castle, and we're probably going to be talking about this castle that he built, and it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. So, without further ado, we welcome you to the adventure party, Randy. Thank you. That that explosive introduction I gave you there, <laughs> all over the place. Blah, 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 blah. Oh. Sorry about that. I had a lot of stuff going on tonight, and I was running late, and I just all of a now now my adrenaline's flowing. So I'm apparently a complicated person to wrap up. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are. So we're going to talk about the gaming news stories that caught our eye and uh, just kind of add our thoughts to it. And Glenn, you, sir, have the first story. I do. All right. Coming, uh, actually, in just a few weeks, in uh, May 15th from IDW Games, is a game based off the comic Chew. Wait, wait. The FDA. I'm going to have you pause for a second. Yeah. I know that IDW has... A comic line. I didn't realize that they had a game line. Yeah, they do. As a, it's it's not. They don't have they don't have a ton of games out. You know, they're not like you know one of the big dogs out there. But they do have they do have a fair number of games. Uh, one of the most popular ones now is one called Machi Koro, which has been a pretty popular little city builder. They do an X Files game. Um, they haven't done a lot yet, but this is this is one that they've got coming up is uh, based off of Chew. And Chew is a, a very very interesting comic. I read the first graphic novel, which you know is the the kind of the first story arc of of the Chew series, and it's really interesting, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, and and for those who haven't read it, uh, just a really really simplified version of what it is. It Chew is about former police officer Tony Chew, who uh, ends up going to work for the FDA as an investigator. He is a sebopath. Uh, and what that is is he gets psychic impressions from things that he eats, um, including people, but not including beets. So beets are his kryptonite. Beets, beets are uh, at least it doesn't give him anything. So um, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting comic book, and it's definitely you know unique in, in where it comes from as far as like the the overall concept. I read the first issue when it first came out, and I loved it. And then, as I often do with comics, I fall out of comics for months at a time, and then forget about ones and have to revisit. And I revisit this one later because I was very, I got very busy. And by busy, I mean I have Netflix. So <laughs> I was doing that mostly. But yeah, uh, they've got a card game coming out based off of Chew. Uh, it's it's two to five players. It's quicker play. It plays in about 30 minutes. And what it is is that you are all 
competing to uh, close cases that are pulled right out of the comic book. You get to enlist partners from the comics. Uh, for those who are familiar, there's John Colby, there's uh, Amelia Mintz, uh, Buttercup the Lion. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, you're sending villains and cultists and all that kind of stuff out to sabotage your opponent's investigation so they can't succeed. Plus, if you pre-order a copy, it's an exclusive variant of uh, Chew Number 1 featuring, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm terrible with people's names, but I think it's Billeroy, Gilroy, uh, artist. That's kind of a homage to the Dogs Playing Poker cover for <laughs> number one. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there's There's been some good, some good, some bad licensed stuff that's come off based off TV shows and comics. Uh, I mean, Archer got a card game. Uh, Orphan Black's getting one coming out also but from IDW. I just I mentioned the X-Files. There's a lot of this theme stuff coming out, and some of it's actually very good. Some of it's just simply the we have a license, let's slap something together. But a lot of companies now are, are kind of taking that and going, you know, we could make a really good game that will sell well because of the of the license attached to it. But sure. it's a good game, so which means people will keep buying it after the fact. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing, too, is IDW's comics, a lot of their stuff is licensed from, I mean, they've had, uh, maybe they still have G.I. Joe, Transformers. Uh, they've had a lot of different things, so they're... They're not noobs to the uh, licensing game, so absolutely. That's that's very interesting, and I know that Chu. I, I believe that they are working on a TV show of Chu. Uh, there's been there's been talk of a TV show, talk of an animated feature length film. There's been talk for a while. I mean, going back probably three or four years at least. Okay. So it's the the thing is you have you have one or two successful things like The Walking Dead and though theatrically it was a success, cult it is, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yep. And Hollywood, you know, pounces on stuff, and they buy up, and they they make offers for a lot of stuff. Whether or not 5% of that ever gets made, you know, it, a lot of it's not going to happen because not everything has power of Marvel behind it. Sure, yeah. Where they can not only just throw lots of money at it, but they're actually making good movies. A good movie isn't enough, as Dread showed. Yeah, you need to have you need to have something that people are going to go out to see, and a lot of these comics. It happened with Scott Pilgrim too. It's a great comic, but people don't know it, so the only ones seeing it are those who read it. Which, as much as I love comics, and as much as I know people like you and other people love comics, we are not the number one demographic for people going to see movies. What yeah. the hell you say? So they need <laughs> they they want us there, but they need. They need, you know, everyone else there too. Yeah, you know, and, I it, I kind of think that the fanboys and, and and folks like that really kind of dropped the ball, especially with Scott Pilgrim, because God, that movie's phenomenal. It is. Um, it, it's it's so dead on with what they were trying to accomplish, and if you've read any of the comics, it just it really nailed it. It's it's a movie that I will I will throw in at any point in time, and just I I love it. Absolutely love it. Love to watch it. And it's a shame that it didn't get the recognition that it should have in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. And Randy, do you know anything about Chew? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've kind That's of been all right. books for a, for a while now. Uh, see, you know, and I'm kind of in this. I haven't collected comics for probably about three or four years now. <sighs> There are times I miss it, and there are times that I, I, you know, I'll I'll check out stuff online, 
and uh-huh. I'll see what's going on, and I'm like, wow, I'm glad I'm not throwing my money away like that anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Chew, Chew would be one that I would pick up the trade paperback of because it is so... It's so different. It's so kind of fun. And, and the whole concept of having an actual FDA investigation team for you know food-related crimes, it's ridiculous, but it's... Kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, it is in a world where chicken has been outlawed in the U.S. Yes. I'd be in trouble. I would, too. I'm a big fan of chicken and, and pork myself. Boy, how did we get here? All right. <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, let's move on to the next story then. Uh, I found this, and I didn't realize that that this existed. Uh, Lone Wolf Development announces new Pathfinder Adventure Path package. Ooh, say that fast five times for Hero Lab. Now, uh, Lone Wolf Development has started taking pre-orders for their new Adventure Path package for Pathfinder's Hero Lab. They, they wrote that weird. That's hard to say. Uh, the pack ties in with the Rise of the Rune Lords Anniversary Edition and contains everything that you need to play in that particular adventure. All the encounters, enemies, and rewards are included. Plus, they have pre-created NPCs that you can print out and have ready for the session. If you have characters made in Hero Lab, this will integrate them right on in just fine. And I must have butchered that when I edited this thing. All right, what does this all mean now that I've completely butchered that intro? From the announcement, Lone Wolf, Wolf Development creator and award-winning tabletop game accessory Hero Lab announces today the development of the new Pathfinder Adventure Path package for Hero Lab. The first add-on package, Rise of the Rune Lords Anniversary Edition, is now available for pre-order $24.99 and will release worldwide later this month. The release, whew, let's just boil this down, will include access to all the encounters from the award-winning fan-favorite Pathfinder Adventure Path, Rise of the Rune Lords Anniversary Edition, pre-built NPCs with spells, gear, features, traits, armor, items, and more, ability to import the encounters into the Hero Lab tactical console to manage combat with a laptop at the game table. Option to print out NPCs and monsters for easy reference. Automatic integration of spells, items, and other material from other Pathfinder RPG supplements such as the Bestiary or Advanced Player's Guide for use within that adventure path. Purchase of these packages is not required. In addition to the Pathfinder RPG, Hero Lab is available for Shadowrun, Mutants and Masterminds, Savage Worlds, Call of Cthulhu, World of Darkness, and the D20 system. So this is a whole computer-based thing where you can put together your campaign and print everything up and have it ready. Basically, it looks like it just speeds up campaign creation and kind of organizes everything for you, which God knows I would need it if I ran a game. Um, <laughs> have you guys used anything like what was... I know when we were doing the LARP, we used Grapevine which was a, a set of software that you could download. It was 100% free, and it included everything, all of the supplements, all of the different, I keep wanting to say tribe, each one of the different clans. Uh, clans thank you. God, it's been so long since yeah. I played. Uh, uh, each one of the clans and their own special abilities and some of the different things from those supplements. So, like, they actually had True Venture in there. So they had the, the time-based powers and stuff like that that the True Venture had. That was really great, especially when you know we were running and, and, and making characters can be such a pain in the butt, you know. And having a, a computer 
program set up where you can just you know click a few things. You have the idea and you go, oh yeah, that looks really good. And you click, 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 and you're done. And then you print it out and boom, you're ready to go. Have you guys used anything for games that you have run? Anything like that? Um, or does it just come from your brain and you just write it down on paper and, and go with it? I know when I've run GURPS, I've used a, there's an, a PDF character builder kind of thing, and it could randomly generate some characters. So I used to use that everyone, partly because GURPS character creation was such a... <laughs> oh, boy. It can, it can be an ordeal. Some, it, it's, it's a creative process, but it can take a while. So, yeah. <laughs> Especially for NPCs and stuff. And actually, because even, like, for building the characters and stuff, I would sit there with the... I'd usually have the players sit with me and describe their character, and we just kind of build it on the spot there. So, yeah, for that I use the, the software help, but that's kind of my limit, or the, my experience that I've had with it. Okay. Glenn? Um, I've used it uh, some sometimes a little bit. Mostly, uh, I've used it when I am running something like at the store or at a con that I don't have a lot of experience with. I might use something, you know, just to get uh, some stuff, some quick stuff out. And I've also used some of that stuff just to borrow or <laughs> other things. So I'm, I'm a borrower when it comes to every other system on the planet. Yeah. Um, some some rule stuff. A lot of just setting stuff. There's a lot of great setting material out there, and it's a lot easier to adapt stuff than a lot of people think it is. Sure. Okay. It'd be huh. great to have some software for Mist Runner. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if it, only it, you knew somebody who was like a map too. Yeah. yeah, but, <laughs> yeah I, do, I do use a great interactive half, or actually like a quarter finished map when I game. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I'm the only one that has. <laughs> Just so everybody's in on the joke, um, <laughs> uh, Randy has done uh, a bit of work for Mistrunner, and he's currently working on a map. And you know, life gets in the way, and uh, and he's he's still working on on the map. And um, you know, that would be something that, when it's done, would be available for Mistrunner folks that uh, uh, could add that to their to their campaigns. So. Boy, it's one of those... See, now that I've described what the joke is, it just it completely falls apart. Oh, well. I, I just felt like uh, people that were listening to this would go, wow, what are, what are they giggling about? That's weird. So, all right. Yeah, that's uh, that's the news. Uh, at least the RPG side. Uh, you know, we've got the Galactic Gaming news from Ryan Murphy, uh, the contributor to uh, Galactic Netcasts, and he's got a great podcast called uh, The Gamers In. Ryan covers the digital beat of gaming, and uh, that's what their podcast about. And he's got another update for us. So, take it away, Ryan. Welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of April 7th. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. First story of the week involves modders wanting the world to play Halo Online. A group known as El Dorito are attempting to bring this modified version of Halo 3 out of Russia and to the world, but Microsoft is not too pleased. Microsoft has issued a DCMA takedown, but El Dorito coolest name ever, has no intention of stopping. Because the game is free to play, the group doesn't believe they're in the wrong. Now, they are in the wrong. A game that is free to play isn't strictly free to play. Microsoft wouldn't, out of the kindness of their hearts, release a truly free to play game to the Russian audience without some sort of in-game purchase ability. Is this modding group going to provide the in-app purchases that Microsoft is giving the Russians? I doubt it. 
it's going to be a free version of the game that they've modded to allow other people to play. Although, I don't know that for a fact. They could very well be trying to give Microsoft more money. Who knows? I doubt it. Second story this week is a bit of a stretch for science fiction, but bear with me. Do you want a NES Amiibo? Well, tough luck. You're not getting one. It's tough to find good Nintendo merchandise these days, especially for the long-forgotten science fiction series Earthbound. So when Nintendo announced a NES Amiibo earlier this year, I was excited to give the big N my $15. Well, as you've no doubt heard, Amiibo are hard to come by, with Wave 4 pre-orders selling out the same day they went live especially rare ones like Ness and the Fire Emblem characters, which disappeared in a mere matter of minutes. Is there something Nintendo can do to fix this? Of course, there's always a, a solution. If you're interested in some possible fixes, I highly recommend checking out a great article by Wired titled, Nintendo Needs to Deflate the Amiibo Bubble. It includes a whole lot of common sense that Nintendo really should subscribe to. Now, personally, I was able to pre-order the Pac-Man Amiibo and the three-pack for the Splatoon Amiibo, but I just checked again before recording, and the Splatoon three-pack is now not available for pre-order. So again, I really do think that Nintendo would benefit from creating a system that allows us to pre-order, a legitimate pre-order, and Nintendo looks at those numbers and say, okay, let's make these, ship them to the people who pre-ordered, and then make a little bit extra to send to the storefront. I don't understand why that's so difficult. Finally, we have our science fiction release for this week, and it is Affordable Space Adventures, and it's out on April 9th. This new Wii U exclusive is a stealth puzzle slash exploration game making extensive use of the gamepad's touchscreen to control your ship, the U-Explorer. The gamepad is your heads-down display and gives you precise control over all the internal systems of the ship. The game also has a co-op mode where players must coordinate as a crew, controlling the spaceship together. One will take the role of engineer, while the other will be the pilot. Affordable Space Adventures will launch at $19.99 on the Wii U eShop on April 9th. Now, personally, I was able to get a hold of a review code for this, so I'm going to be taking a look at it this week, and I'll share some thoughts next week on the show. A very brief, sort of think of it as a mini preview of a future Gamers In when I delve a little deeper. Well, that's going to do it for this week on Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. Now, this week I did a little bit of different news stories, and that was mainly due to the fact that I wasn't able to find some hard-hitting science fiction news in the gaming world. So if you have any suggestions for gaming news stories, you can send those to ryan at gamersinpodcast.com. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, be sure to check out the Gamers In at gamersinpodcast.com. Each week, Jocelyn Moffat and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. Thanks for listening. All right, thanks for that report, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Now we're going to get into the Kickstarter spotlight, but to start this off, we always do the recap of the last one we've done. Last meeting's spotlight was Car Wars Arena from Steve Jackson Games. As of right now, they have 1,093 backers, and they had a goal 
of reaching, they needed to reach 50,000 to make this happen. And as of right now, with 16 days left to go, they are at 52,497. So this is a go. And if you want to get it, well, yeah, it, it was one of those things where, and I think it was, it was kind of, at the rate it was moving, it was definitely going to make the goal. And Steve Jackson games, I think we said it in the in the last show, uh, you, you're hard-pressed to find a, a Steve Jackson game that is not enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, it's the guaranteed fun time that you're going to have. And Car Wars is very pretty simple to put together, pretty simple to play. And, uh, you know, it's chits on, on... If you don't say that right, that sounds like an entirely different word. Uh, chits on uh, basically a graph paper board, and it, it's a fun time. It's a very fun time. So you've got 16 days to get uh, on board with this, back the project, and for 20 bucks, you're in. And you've got a... A playable set uh, with ready-to-play maps and the rules for the classic Car Wars game. This Car Wars came out in the 80s. Is that what we said yeah. last time? So it's been around for a while. Uh, it's tried and true, and it's a it's a good time. So you should totally get on board with this uh, this Kickstarter. That is most certainly a go. And if you plop down your 20 bucks or 40 bucks, gets you even more maps and more stuff. You're definitely going to get a good game. You won't regret it. <laughs> and uh, this time round, we've got a new spotlight of a game that looked kind of interesting to me. It's a game called Post-Human. And in Post-Human, you play one of the last human survivors in a world where nature is reclaiming the planet, and our mutated offspring are working to eradicate us. Will you resist mutation and survive, or give in to the inevitable and join the mutants? Uh, in the game, players start off as humans on a solitary journey to a rumored fortress harboring a community of humans. To reach the fortress, the players need to complete ten zones successfully. These zones are found on the tiles of varying terrain that are drawn by the players as they explore the world. On their travels, the players have the opportunity to meet other human players and trade items and use beneficial skills on each other. They will also encounter randomly drawn mutant adversaries and be assailed by players who have switched to the mutant side. Encounters with mutants may inflict scars, and the more scars players have, the closer they will be to mutating and switching sides. Will they strive to cling onto their humanity and make a run for the fortress, thus winning the game? Or will they give in to their more tempting mutation, join the mutants, and deny the win from the rest of the humans? It sounded like a cool concept, and as of right now, they've got just under 3,000 backers. Their original goal was 27,000 to make this happen. <laughs> they are very close to reaching 190,000 oh, wow. with 11 days to go. So this project is definitely a go. Uh, it was uh, developed by Mighty Box and is being co-published with Mr. B Games. Have you heard of either of those, Glenn? Ah, uh, Mr. B sounds familiar, but I, I can't think of anything else they've done. Okay. Oh, wait, uh, I think they made Spurs? Hmm. And uh, let me just, you know, I'm going to use the power of uh, Clockwork, which is a game I don't know anything about. Clockwork Kingdom, but I just got it in my store like three days ago. <laughs> okay. So... That's why I've heard of them. Yeah, there's there's a couple games they've done that I've seen. I don't know a lot about them. Um, looking at this, with them being at a hundred and what did I say? 
I said that they're close to 190,000. To be exact, as of this moment in time, they're $187,854, and they've unlocked a number of stretch goals. And if you get in, now the base to get in is $52. Now, that does sound like quite an investment, but for higher quality board games that you will play that are very replayable, and very fun and have very nice pieces you know spending forty to fifty forty to sixty dollars for a really good board game is not unheard of no and looking at these stretch goals because if you get on board you automatically get these stretch goals and as of this point you can get uh... you will get the fifth player expansion actually at this point you get six so you can play up to six people you get a pawn upgrade, so you get wooden pawns for the <laughs> post-human meeples. I like that. And there's additional weapons. Uh, they've upgraded the quality of the cards to a, a thicker, a better card stock. So you're definitely going to get an even more durable game for that $52. That you're not going to worry about those pieces wearing out. And we talked about Car Wars. It's a it's a quick and easy game to play, and it was designed to be, you know less expensive, but unless you, like Glenn said last time, he will scan his sheets in because they wear out quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you scan that in and take it to uh, you know Instaprint or some kind of copy place, you can even print it out on slightly thicker, more durable cardstock. But with this, you're going to get an even more higher quality game right out of the box, as it were. <laughs> That's a pun. <clears throat> anyway, so... And, and right now, post-apocalyptic stuff, you know, with The Walking Dead. You know, you got a lot of post-apocalyptic things going on, and it's kind of a fun setting to play. Uh, that, that's why I wanted to recommend this, because it seemed kind of cool. Glenn or Randy, would you play a game like this? I'll play almost everything. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, yes. I'm kind of a game slut, so... Glenn, the game whore. Yes. No, I would definitely play a game like this. Yeah. Okay. It looks fun. I mean, I guess it, a lot of it would come down to like the replayability for it. You know, if it's worth that. Yeah. Kind of. It, yeah. And it's. Well, no, I didn't say I would buy it. Right. <laughs> I would play it. <laughs> you you kind of have that option. But <laughs> you can play yes. anything without ever actually having to buy it. <laughs> now, uh, for this game, they do say it's it's for twelve plus as the age mm. age range, and they say thirty minutes per player. So the more people that you have playing, you know, if you have a six-person game, wow. you're in it for a while. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be something that you start up and, and you're not going to finish in, in a half an hour. So my personal preference, and, you know, God love, and we've had Rob Benton on this show. He, he had the Game of Thrones board game that I think he brought to a, a gathering that we had in 1999. And by hour six, I'm like, I'm out. I, I pfft, no, I, I can't play. I can't sit and play a game that long. I mean, I'd, I'd lack the attention skills to, to, to stick with something that long. And, and, and the other thing, too, is I think I would have gotten more out of the game had I read any of the books. So I, I felt really lost. None of it had... And he, Glenn, you and I were in on that one game, right? The, the one. Yeah, that was that was at Pat's house. Yeah, yeah, it was, I forgot, yeah, but neither of us, I hadn't read it either at that point. Okay. And it was like it was like actually a huge advantage for us because uh, 
Well, oh, yeah. Everybody else was playing the roles that they were given, like, for the, for the houses and stuff. <laughs> That's no actually a selling point I use for the game at, all, at the store. I talked about the first time I played that everyone was so into their, you know, if, if you were House Lannister, you played like House Lannister, and I was Ned. I was the Starks. At the end of the game, everyone was looking, around me was looking really weak, so I just went, I'm attacking everybody. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, Ned would never do that. I'm like, I have no idea who Ned is other than the guy on this card. Right. <laughs> you start building a navy and stuff. Like, I did all sorts of stuff that the Starks don't do. Right. <laughs> I, didn't, I hadn't read the books. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I probably won't get in on that game. I 52 bucks is a little too rich for my blood, but if you are a dyed-in-the-wool tabletop game player, this looks like a really cool game. I have to say, one thing for, for me would be the size of the rule book. If, if it's like a 30-page rule book, I might be out just because I don't have the time to invest in that anymore. Yeah. That, yeah. I lack the attention span. I, I just can't do it. You know, your, your butt gets numb after a while. So <laughs> game. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about that with people at game day yesterday where I'm like, I see that 30 or 40 page rule book and I'm like, not right now, and I put it aside. And like a month later I go, why haven't I played this game? And I open up, oh, 30 pages. That's why. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look at it again later. And then a month later I'm like, why haven't I played this yet? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Those games, games like... I wait, I wait for someone to teach me. Yeah, I usually, I like to sit in on a game before I try to... Yeah, to see if how I, somebody who actually knows how to play it already, then I can see how it plays and decide if it's worth the effort or not. Yeah, it, you know, one of one of the things I've always really appreciated about really good gaming stores is that they have like a play day where they will take out a game and let people experience it, and then you know give a discount for the game for the people that are playing it at that point in time if they really dig it, you know, for like. Mm-hmm. 10% off they can get the game. And that's always nice because sometimes people, there are people in the world like myself who read a rule book and go words, words, words. And, it, you know, I, I need context. I need to actually play the game for the words to stick into my head. So it's always fun to to go to a store that does that and, and, and let you experience the game before you buy it. So mm-hmm. I have to actually build new shelves in my gaming closet so I can put more <laughs> games in there. It's it's getting out of control in there. All right, enough about my gaming closet. Um, let's get on to the interview. We wanted to talk to Randy, like I had said earlier. Randy put together this castle that is so absolutely fabulous. And we wanted to talk to Randy about... Nobody's born doing something that looks that good. You know, that takes practice, that takes research, that takes time to do. And I wanted to talk to Randy specifically about this because uh, I've never played with the castle set, but there was another terrain piece that, as I recall, were it was made out of entirely different material. Uh, you used uh, foam to, yeah. to kind of build up the terrain and... and, and the actual uh, play area, and then the buildings were made out of something else. We'll get into that in just a second, but there's a lot that can go into it, and it takes planning. You don't just one day go, I'm going to build a terrain set. Well, maybe you do, but... (laughs) You know, if you if you've got the materials just lying around, 
that's cool. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of foam down in the basement that I could, you know, build some kind of terrain out of. But I don't have, I haven't done the research to actually, you know, make something that looks nice. And I'm going to make an assumption here, but any terrain that you build, there are materials that are better than others to, mm-hmm. to construct it with. Like, you wouldn't make a, that castle that you built out of styrofoam. No. Actually, some people do, actually, that kind of stuff, even out of foam, but... It wouldn't be durable. <laughs> yeah, and and that castle that you built, and again, I, I apologize to, to the folks that are listening to this. This is kind of a visual thing that we're talking about, so I do encourage you to go back to the show notes and find this link. We're going to definitely post it in the uh, Facebook group for Galactic Netcast, so you can take a look at this gallery because this the, the, the stuff is absolutely gorgeous. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, what prompted you to start to build terrain? What got under your skin where you're like, you know, I need to build a physical representation of a gaming area where a story's going to take place. So what what prompted you to do that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it like, I mean, it goes way back. Well, I mean, like the first like real terrain building like inspiration was going to Glen or Glen, Gen Con when it was in Milwaukee. Sure. Um, because I remember like you know in high school some of the first years I went there and just you know, some of the huge terrain sets that they had there. That was, like, honestly, that was, like, my favorite thing about going to, to Gen Con was just, you know, the seeing, you know, because I don't know if you remember the, the giant Battletech. Battle yes. Shadow Ryan. Oh. Yeah. Vassa always had the best. I know. Displays. And, you know, and so, I you know, I'd go, and I don't even know if I ever played on that one, but it was just, like, beautiful, and they had another, you know, and they just had all sorts of stuff, you know, So, and I would just wander around looking at all the miniatures and the, the sets, and, you know, so that was, just, you know, something that I just always wanted to do, and um, when I was younger, I dabbled a little bit with, like, model train sets and stuff. Sure. And again, you know, at that point, I ne- definitely did not have any skill in doing anything. <laughs> sure. Um, I think the first attempts I even tried at that was actually, like, doing some papier-mâché mountains for my brother's train set or something. You know, and I've just kind of dabbled here and there in things. And then, I mean, I guess for the castle, where that finally kind of came from was, you know, that was Hearst Arts. So, Flynn obviously knows Hearst Arts. (laughs) Yep. Um, I mean, that was probably, like, the inspiration that actually showed me how to start, how to really do it. You know, it, it went from a, you know, this is something that these other people do to, oh, wow, here's how you can do it, you know, because um, so if people aren't familiar, Hearst Arts, they do, they they sell the, the molds to, so you can actually build, you know, cast individual bricks and build all the stuff, and, but it's not just that, if you go to his, uh, so it's hearstarts.com, if you go to his website, you actually, he has, like, tutorials on how to do, like, terrain to go with uh, everything, and uh, I mean, I think that's really where it, it started. Um, the first, I mean, the castle was the first real thing I built, before that, I'd actually uh, built a display for my mom's little Christmas houses, because I'd been doing that. Because you could buy these little plaster houses, you know, around Christmas time. So I'd started buying that. Well, partly because, especially at that point, I was kind of cheap. So <laughs> I was looking for presents that I could, you know, just you know, spend a couple dollars on and then paint it up real nice so that it looked a lot more than it was, you know, actually worth. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, hopefully, if you get a chance, we we do record this uh, live on YouTube, and uh, right now, 
while Randy's talking and as I jump in to talk, you're going to see stuff uh, on the screen. I'm screen sharing right now. So you can see I had this castle that Randy put together is ridiculously awesome. And I know when we uh, I talked with Randy uh, a couple of days ago, and he had mentioned that the grand hallway of his castle at one point in time, if you did grand hall... Yeah, great hall. Great hall, great hall. castle. It would it, it would show you an image of uh, a picture that Randy took of his castle. Oh, okay, it's just so stunningly beautiful. Um, it looks realistic uh, with by the way it's photographed, by the way it's lit, and by the way it's built. Yeah, there's the one. There's the great yeah, hall. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm saying here it is. I encourage you. We'll have the uh, the Flickr the link to the Flickr uh, gallery that uh, Randy put together. And uh, right now, if you're looking at the video, you're seeing this picture that on Google Image Search actually came up as a <laughs> as a great hall for uh, an actual castle. It, it looks it looks pretty damn realistic. So, um, so yeah, I mean, basically, like the inspiration. Actually, what inspired that one was because I started buying a couple of Hearst Arts molds just to kind of start dabbling with the. I'd always been wanting to do like you know, some miniature... Well, I've been doing lots of miniature stuff, and I wanted to do scenery. And I started getting those, and they actually had... I don't know if they're still doing it anymore. The the, the forums, basically, they had a contest every year. And you could, you know, build the best thing you could build and enter into the contest, and the prize was, like, a couple more molds, basically. <laughs> but I just decided that year I was going to enter it. Um, and they had different categories for the different sizes, and so I went for... Intelligently went for the biggest one. <laughs> go big, go big, or go home. Go big or yeah, go I home. A large category rather than going for something you know that was reasonable. And <laughs> kind of started just down. If you actually go back to those first pictures, I mean, actually, really, kind of how it started is I just started playing um, with the molds I had um, and fitting the pieces together. So yeah, so back up to the yeah top there. Um, if you go actually, yeah, that first one there. So the, with the first build. So I just started fitting pieces together and just trying out different layouts. And, I mean, actually, that picture precedes the sketches I started doing of it because that was me just kind of dabbling with it and seeing, okay, what, oh, this looks kind of cool. And, and then started realizing that that could build out into an entire castle. And then if you go back to the sketches there that I, I've got, yeah, these are all a bunch of, that's like a later one when I was really trying to figure out how everything was going to fit together. I just started doing some sketches of, you know, what I wanted this thing to possibly look like, you know, and all of it's based on the, the Hearst Arts molds that were available, you know, each, you know, little turrets on the top and the different type, types of towers and stuff like that, and then just started sketching it out and then just started building it, and it took the better part of the, the summer in 2003 for me to build that. So it was just, you know, <laughs> I learned a lot about uh, time management, I guess. <laughs> and... You know, and, and the patience of your wife. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. There's no good pictures of the uh, what my living room looked like through the majority. Of that. <laughs> I just <laughs> this was obviously pre-children too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just for kind of scale purposes, uh, this is uh, this is Randy's wife uh, standing next to <laughs> this castle. I mean, you know, how tall is Gretchen? Five. Five, five, six. Yeah, yeah, five, six. And granted, she's she's kind of leaning over the table a little bit, but that that's a huge freaking castle. I mean, that looks like if I were to hazard a guess, I would say it's like 
if we're looking at this head on here, what two and a half, three feet wide? Yeah, something like that. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, that seems about uh, probably two, two and a half. Okay, and so that probably makes it about three to three and a half deep. Yeah. Um, and probably about three and a half, four tall, including that, uh, the, the the turret and tower in the back there. Mm -hmm. And then it's sitting on top of, and I'm going to, I'm going to assume here that that is that is foam that that you kind of layered together and 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 chipped away, so it looks like, oh god, it's just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. That, that's even before the painting really got done, because let's see, that was early August. Actually, Glenn, it was the same time as your birthday, because that's when we were up there for that. Yep. So yeah, it was early August, and I had just finished building. Actually, I think before we even went to, because I was at Game Fest, and before we went, I actually had like recruited friends in St. Louis to like come over and like rapidly paint that thing. <laughs> actually, that one, the inside wasn't even done yet. The inside that that's just an exterior coat on the paint job on the outside. The inside was still like all gray and everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here real quick. How do you paint something that big, and what paint do you use? Let's see. For that one, I think I went and just bought. Uh, Please like, tell me you used an airbrush. No, I don't. Oh lord. No, I just used. Um, I think that most of, well, at least the base painting on that was a, uh, like just uh, latex house paint kind of thing. Really? Um, yeah, because um, I've always been bad about. It. I use I use the cheapest ass paints. Like. <laughs> Hey, so do I. <laughs> I've got an entire thing full of uh, um, apple barrel paints. That's what oh, I. Oh, sure, yeah. I know I should use better, even for, especially for my miniatures. I should be using better paint, but I just haven't ever. But yeah, I worked out like a color scheme that I was gonna like for it, and then using just some craft paints, and then I took for, for like the base coat. I think I went to Walmart, or was it Walmart or Home Depot? I can't remember. Whichever, and you know, just took a, a paint sample and said, here, you know, mix me up a batch of this, and. It was enough to base coat the whole thing, and then um, the rest of it's just all dry brushing. I mean, all that to get all of that like chipped stone look. So that is three or four layers of dry brush. So there's a base coat, and then I think there's there might be three layers of dry brushing on that, just on that that sandstone wow. color there. Because there's mm. like deep brown and then a light brown. I think it might just maybe it was just two layers of dry brushing. I can't remember, but. I had to go over every single piece, you know. Yeah, and that's so freaking huge. My God, I can only imagine. You probably had, what, a, a, a fleet of, like, 20 people waiting in the wings with brushes just waiting to go there to dry brush everything. Well, the problem, too, actually, most of the dry brushing I did myself because it's hard to teach people to dry brush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, it is. It's, it's a, it's, um, you, you kind of just have to, do, you know, getting other people to do it for you is really hard because... Yeah. People tend to want to rush through it, and you know it's just—it's something you can't rush. You just have to do it slowly, and you know. So I think all the dry brushing I just did by myself. Now, did you only do dry brushing? Did you do any washes? Now, you know, people no, that paint miniatures and stuff like that. Uh, a wash is uh, something where you, you know, you get your paint. So like you have your brush and you're like working with black, and you kind of thin down that black a lot and what ends up happening is when you take your brush and spread it over whatever you're painting it will settle into 
the crevices, and when it dries, it you know leaves that darker color there, and it kind of can help things you know deepen the colors of of the crevices of of something that you're working with. Whereas a dry brush is something that you use over the more raised parts, mm-hmm. and that helps give more highlight. So you use the wash more for depth and getting darker colors into the crevices, and the the dry brush is more for pulling out and, and creating more highlights. So no washes with this. No, because I didn't know how to do washes at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I actually, you could argue that I still don't know. <laughs> and you know, those are they're they're two different techniques that you know with a dry brush you use even less paint. Yeah. Because um, a, a little paint goes a long way when you're doing a dry brush. Um, and and you wouldn't want to do something you don't know how to do, Randy. You said like you didn't even know how to build a castle before you built that. So you're obviously <laughs> obviously your wash would have turned out horrible. You know, I think at that point I didn't even know about washes. Like yeah. I, I didn't even know that they existed. Like I've been trying to do it on my miniatures for a while, and I still have a hard time. It's hard to control. It's it very hard to control. Come out right, or I just usually end up with a mess. That's what I end up with. Well, they have yeah, now. I, they have like they have like the the dips. Oh, that's... Dip the whole mini in. Uh, I saw that and I went, really? Back in my day, you kids get off my lawn! You gotta earn a wash, I'm telling you. You, <laughs> you, you learn the hard way. You have a glass of water and you have a paper towel at your side and you practice a wash until either you lose your mind or you get it right. Yeah. There's really no... You get thrown into the pool on that. Um, you either do it or you don't. That's too much water. <laughs> It's kind of funny looking at this thing, though, because, like, I'm realizing, like, well, because once I got into it, like, how decisive I had to become. Because, like, one of my problems with building things is, like, the indecisiveness at the beginning of just not knowing, you know, like, too many possibilities. But I think, like, once it got started, then it was just like, okay, now I have to do this. Now I have to do that. You know, it's, like, kind of just started rolling out. I would argue that it with anything that you create, there's a point where your creation will start to dictate to you what you need to do, and that probably sounds weirdly pretentious, but oh, no. it's yeah. But it, it, it really does. You know, you start to do something, and if you do something, and you're not sure exactly how this particular thing is going to do, you do it, and you're like, oh, God, that looks terrible. I can't, I can't do that. And, and you, you take another direction, and it's like it's, it's almost telling you what you need to do uh, if you're willing to listen, and that sounds weirdly pretentious and slightly crazy. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the castle was like that, yeah. You because know, I started at the front and started working back, and then, you know, and like even like when you're working with sketches and stuff. I mean, actually, like a few of those sketches. I mean, obviously, they match pretty well to what I ended up with. I mean, there were a few ideas that got dropped along the way because they were just bigger scale than you know I was thinking and stuff. But, um, but even still, there were just like lots of areas as I was going along where I'm like, oh, well, this is how the pieces have to, you know, like, no matter what I want, this it, it has to go together a certain way, or, you know, what I wanted to do doesn't fit, or just, there are weird, like, intersections of pieces where I'm like, I hadn't even thought about how that was going to come together. And Sure. I mean, actually, with the Hearst Art stuff, I mean, a lot of it comes out basically like building with Legos, though. I mean, you just kind of start going, and you've got an idea, and you just, things start fitting into place. One of the bigger challenges I ran into with that was, like, um, so if you look at that, you know, some of those pictures from the, the, the when I first started, it's all one big piece. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I was, well, because the intention was to take this thing to gaming conventions in Milwaukee and elsewhere, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to haul this thing. 
<laughs> so yeah. I actually had to start figuring out how to break it up into transportable pieces, you know, and so that front section is just like one giant slab, and then, you know, as you go back, it starts breaking up into little intersecting pieces that became a challenge because that was turned into building, you know, making your own puzzle kind of thing. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. You know, I, and I, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier when we started. When you work on a project, and you've you've built a, a few terrains, I think that would be safe to say. Okay, yeah. <laughs> when you build a terrain, does your plan, does your idea dictate what material to use? It looks like with the castle you used plaster. Would that is yeah, that? Yeah, that's actually all dental plaster. There's. Uh, okay. So it's what. I guess they don't do it so much anymore, but it's what they used to use, like when they, you know, you'd go in for braces and they take that mold of your mouth and then yes. cast up a model of your teeth because it's very dense and very um, strong plaster. So it's not plaster of Paris. It's yeah, it's it's dense, hard stuff. You can find it online and stuff. I don't, I, I haven't used it actually. I haven't done anything with her starts for a while, so I need, I want to get back into that at some point. But I guess it just comes down to what you what you're wanting to do. Um, I mean, for the terrain itself, I mean, foam. <laughs> foam is a very powerful tool to be used. In fact, if you actually go, well, actually, if you scroll ahead to some of the other pictures there, you can actually see the, the pink foam. Yeah, I'm going to pull the screenshot up, or the screen share up again. Okay, yeah, here's what... Oh, yeah, that, that's the later one. That's the one that you played on. <laughs> yes, and that was, that was a... That was a fun campaign. Here, popping back down. Was I in the right general area, though, here? Uh, I, was, I was even thinking up a little bit about with the castle. Like, Oh, oh actually, okay. with the castle, I redid the terrain once, too, on it. So, yeah, those early pictures with uh, there, it was kind of low. Oh, here you if you, Yeah, there you go. You can see the... Uh, oh, yeah, these are... Those, I, I got these out of order, because that's, that's when I redesigned it, I think. <laughs> that's the original. That is the original, because it's sitting on there. But, uh, again, that's where Hearst Arts actually helped out. For me, it was not just building the castle. I wanted the castle to fit into a landscape. And, I mean, that that was actually the part that turned out to be a lot of fun, was just building that landscape out for it and uh, having the castle build itself mesh into the, the landscape. And, you know, that, that just turned out to be kind of neat. That that's the part that's hard to design too, because actually when you're, you know, like building a structure, it's easy to work from plans and you know you, you sketch out what you want it to look like and yeah you, know, you can follow pretty close to that. But when you're doing landscape stuff, it gets a lot more freeform, artisticy. Um, yeah. Well, even looking at this particular image here, let's see if I can blow it up here. The bricks actually kind of go into the foam here a little bit, so uh-huh. you're actually kind of and at that part inside because I know that some of this could be taken apart so you could actually physically move your your pieces through them uh-huh. at that point I mean is there can you see the foam on the inside of the castle there or is no. it no okay, no it's completely walled off okay yeah but trying to sink something of this size I mean this magnitude of build into landscape that is foam. Now, granted, it's foam. You can cut it apart rather easily, but that had to be a bit of a wild ride to get that all to work together. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's, again, where it was like, to, you know, making my own puzzle because that, that picture you've got right there, that piece in the middle, was, yeah, right. a piece that I, like, was a scrap piece from something else that had to be, like, shoved in the middle there because 
the base was built around like cardboard boxes, and so I had to cover up the cardboard boxes, and it's oh sure, yeah, yeah, and I was just fitting pieces together left and right, and, just, <laughs> you know, and then like yeah, it, you, you, know, you can kind of fit all the pieces together, and then I mean one of the big tricks was like, in, then to go over the foam with a um, an exacto knife and just do all those little little slashes in it, yeah. That makes that texture, and that again, I learned that from Hearst Art's website. That was like such an awesome uh, tip on how to, you know, do rock formations that look realistic. Sure. Uh, because it actually looks like sedimentary rock, and you know, and it actually goes pretty fast. But again, there's a lot of rock there to go around. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the, I mean, the size of the overall terrain piece, just going over, you know, that whole thing all the way around has to take hours to do, and to get it to look relatively, you know, good. Yeah. Um, you know, my my other question too is, you know, when you're working with this high density foam, because because that's what this is. This isn't styrofoam. If you're gonna, don't build terrain with styrofoam. That's one thing that I've. <laughs> there well, there are a few instances where you'd use you know the puffed styrofoam. You want to use the the high density foam to to build terrain. But my question is, if you need to kind of fill in any gaps with something like this, what material works well with the pink foam? Oh. Um, like if you had to spackle in like a, a mistake, you can't quite glue something in, and you want to fill in a crack, and you just can't quite get to a wet material. Say, more, more pink foam. <laughs> <laughs> just cut a piece to fit, and just glue it in, and hope it sticks. I mean, you could probably go over it with some plaster. I don't know. I like I said, I really just played with. I mean, I had when I was doing this, like I save every scrap while I'm doing it because sure. yeah, you know, just because you're cutting it off of one section, it's. You know, it might be useful later, and I don't know how many years I kept that box of scrap foam pieces. <laughs> yeah, I ended up insulating some some rooms in my basement, so I've got all sorts of high-density yellow foam or something like that. I mean, the color doesn't matter, but I've been holding on to it with the, the, the thought of, you know, gosh, one of these days, Rob and I really want to build terrain, and I put that insulation up three years ago, um, so nothing's happened with it yet, um, but by God, one of these days we're going to do something with it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and actually that's kind of what happened with, uh, you know, so I did this, and it's cool, and actually, I mean, for the inspiration, for like why, I, and like, I mean, for me, like, doing these things too, it's like always based around the game that I'm going to play with it too. Sure. I mean, while I like, you know, this, the pieces that look cool, I like it to be playable. So actually, I think there's a later picture in there where you've got like the where I have it completely tore down into all the pieces. Yeah, I'm gonna. Sorry, this is such a visual. No, <laughs> yeah, it well no, I, and, and we've kind of given the disclaimer that this is gonna be a bit of a visual episode and. Um, oh, back just a little bit. There you go. Up a little bit. There, there's a, there there it is in place, which is you know you can see how it comes apart to get inside there and yeah like and when I was. Um, you know, like laying out the rooms and everything, I was thinking about it from, you know, a game flow kind of perspective of, you know, you can go from this room to this room and people can, you know, because I was doing it for, I, actually, oddly, it's for a, I've only used it for like a science fiction based uh, game, <laughs> miniatures game. Yep. I really do a lot of fantasy based game, which is, you know, it's odd that I made a castle. <laughs> but it's always actually, it's, well, I think it did, I think it's, it did that one uh, Hero Clicks game, or was that Hero Clicks? Mage Knight. Mage Knight, that's what it was. That's what it was. So, yeah, we got for that one fantasy game. Other than that, it's always been a sci-fi game that I've run Take out the dictator. Yep. Or not. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, and that's the other thing too. Like when I do like my scenery stuff, I pretty much come up with a scenario or a set of scenarios the terrain will work with. I'm not so big on like completely modular stuff. There's lots and lots of people that have done really great stuff with modular train boards, but I've found that for me, I can put a lot more heart and soul into it if like it has a particular goal, because the modular stuff. To be purely modular, it starts to lose it. You know, it has, it can't have as much um, of, of the unique features and stuff like that. And you know, because it has to be completely modular. And modular terrain, no matter how you do it, always looks like modular terrain. You know, it has to have breakpoints and things like that that are easy. You know, and you, you know, and it has to have regularly shaped pieces so that they can all fit together. And so, like this one here, you know, I, I completely threw out the idea of modularity for this. You know. It's not meant to be, I mean, the train itself, the buildings can be rearranged and tried out yeah. layouts and things like that, but the ground is is what it is. You know, and so, like, like I said, I think, I think about a, a scenario or maybe a set of scenarios that can be played on it and then just make sure that there's, you know, I think about things like line of sight. You know, since I play, like, sci-fi games, you know, where there's lots of shooting. So, you know, I think about, you know, where, where can you shoot from this side of, you know, I, I try to keep out of, you know, just completely open, you know, like where somebody can just sit on one side of the board and kill everybody else kind of thing and, um, <laughs> you know, make it so that there's lots of options for things. Let's see, I'm trying to remember, what was that one? I can't even remember what I had you guys... I think that one was like, I, I had just finished that board at that... Like, I think the uh, the water effects there, that that was kind of cool because that was the first time I had tried water effects on, on, a, on a board. I think, and actually that's another thing, like usually my boards are all based on whatever effect I want to try out. Sure, yep. You know, it's like, um, so if you look at all the rocks and stuff there, it's very similar to the to the castle terrain. Yep. Um, you know, so I had a pretty good grasp on that, but, you know, this time I'm like, well, I'm going to put a river in because I like, I want to do a river. And I've seen stuff online. Actually, again, I think I saw something on her starts about how to use uh, Enviro, Envirotex, that's right, it, resin stuff that, you know, people coat bar, sure. bars with and stuff like that. But it gives such a neat, um, realistic water. Because train modelers have used that forever to yeah, yep. um, do do water effects and things. And, you know, that's another place that I go. I actually love uh, picking up, you know, model train magazines and stuff like that just because they've got such cool ideas. And, oh, there's me being yeah. done with it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a really fun game, and that was at uh, that was at GlenCon. Yep, yep. At the uh, at the grooming store, as I recall, at that. that this this point bit, that picture is actually from just this last summer. I, I brought it back for that, and, or actually brought it out because it's sitting at uh, Board Game Barrister. <laughs> Ah, just yes, a, a lot of a lot of good memories with this particular terrain piece. That was, uh, you know, it and it wasn't until I was flipping through these pictures because that's me, <laughs> and that was uh, that was Kristen, wasn't it? Yeah, that's Kristen. Yeah, I think there's a comment on that picture that, or one of these about her surrendering because she like filled in for somebody else and all she wanted to do was surrender. Yeah, I can't remember who it was that had to bow out. Um, somebody ended up having to leave early, I recall, and uh, yeah, and she she was kind of watching things, and and she she jumped in, and she's like, I think she realized what she was getting herself into, and went, mm, can I can I just be done now? <laughs> but no, that was a god, that was a good time. Was oh, a and those built those buildings. So that the big well, I actually do have little modular buildings that I built in there. Like oh, I 
I actually started those before I had started doing any like terrain pieces, like any like big sets. I just you know wanted to start building, you know, doing some small pieces, and those are all out of foam core. Yeah, I was gonna say I recall that being foam core, and the the nice thing about that foam core is, well, one, it's lightweight, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and two, you know, if you you start to pull that apart, I mean, it's it's easy to you know the the way you had those built, as I recall, you could easily swap out floors in any particular arrangement, and everything kind of lined up really nice. It, it had to be, and I can't remember what you had these in in storage to actually cart these around from St. Louis to Milwaukee. Um, <laughs> but you know, it had to be if you're going to carry around a box filled with terrain pieces. If you've got them built out of foam core, you're not going to throw your back out like you would carrying that 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 castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really. And and if I'm if I'm getting the proper message here, the material also is not necessarily dictated by the scenario that you're doing, but also by necessity of portability. And yeah. you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna make this out of sheets of lead. <laughs> I mean, even <laughs> if it would look cool for that particular thing, you want to pick something that's appropriate for. You know, you're not gonna load a table down with a lot of weight. You're gonna, you know, you you mm. want things to be easy to to handle, and you know, maybe you have to ship them ahead of time. Like if you're gonna do something at at Gen Con, you might ship it to yourself, you know, yeah. to Gen Con, and well, you don't want to pay the extra the freight for honestly, that. Look, the portability for me has actually kind of been an issue because even this um last year, I wanted to build a brand new one, and um I had like the sheets cut for it, and then like went to put them in my van and realize that they weren't going to fit. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, so I've got, yeah, I've got all sorts of plans, like inspiration for this, this brand new one that I want to do. And actually, that, that one, um, the one you've got there, the, the, the one with the river in it is, the inspiration for that actually came from the, uh, the role-playing game we were doing at the time because there was a, a destroyed town with a river that ran through it. And I just like, just decided that, you know what, I'm just going to build it just because, you know, I just wanted it. I think there was part of it, too, was the, uh, that was when I was job hunting, and I think I had just gotten confirmation that I was going to stay in Milwaukee for at least another year. And I was, oh, sure, yeah. I was just like, damn it, I'm building something big. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't going to have to be picking up and moving, and I'm just like, yay, I can build something. So, you know, I just decided to take a... That one actually did not take long, either. That one probably took, like, two weeks to build. Okay. That one was pretty... I tried out lots of new te- techniques, the water, and actually got some insights on uh, other like surface techniques. So like those um, concrete slabs on that one. It turns out that uh, so the foam you can you can press things into the foam. Uh, so I went out and just grabbed some rocks. If you press rocks into the foam, like big flat parts of rocks, but or, you know, but it makes like really neat textures in the, you okay. know pressed into the foam. Um, so like yeah, that concrete slabby thing there, that's actually just rocks pressed into the foam. That's not anything else. Huh. Uh, and that's just the fa- the foam painted, you know, straight up there. Wow. Uh, and then all the flat surfaces, I wasn't, there were so many flat surfaces on this one, I wasn't sure what to do with it. And this was just a complete, just try and random things. The kids had a sandbox. And so I went and uh, just grabbed a bucket of sand and threw some glue down and just patted, you know, threw some sand on top of sure. it. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, just to see what it, what it would do. And it just made this really neat textured surface. But then, then accepted dry brushing really well. 
Yeah, um, I can only imagine. So, like, you know, it doesn't look like sand glued down on bone. <laughs> <when it's done. laughs> yeah, yep. Or maybe it does, I can't. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to something like that, you know, looking at it from, from this distance, that looks like, like sandstone. And when you get up close to it, as I recall from the piece, it still holds up when you get, get up close to it. It still is a believable texture. So no, that's that's another really well done, well done piece. Absolutely. Would you say that it's almost a little addictive? You know, you you, you build a piece of terrain and you're done, and you're like, oh, you know, while I was building this, I was working with this material, and I thought, wow, you know, it could be really cool if I did this. At the risk of you know alienating your wife and family, <laughs> and running out of space in the basement of your house. You know, if you had the opportunity to to build more, I, did did you find that it's kind of addictive when you when you start building terrain? Yeah, I mean, well, it is. Um, yes and no, though, because like when you finish something like that, you, I mean, because like for me, I get a little obsessive when I'm doing it, so you know, it kind of takes over everything else at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's kind of a like when it's done, you know, when I when I call it done. There's kind of a bit of a you know like okay now I can take a break from this and do something else for a little bit you know, <laughs> um, and and part of it for me too is like the reason I haven't done anything else since then is it's getting all the parts together, getting the space, and then getting the time to you know to all to to coincide there, and it hasn't exactly you know come together since then. I've actually got all the materials to go. Well, I used to. <laughs> Oddly enough. Um, Actually, I, I kind of dragged my daughter into it recently because um, she just had a school project. Oh, um, yes. I don't know if you saw the Hoover Dam. Yep. Yeah. I, I should put those into the, into the album, too, just because she had, a, she had to do a 3D project for, for school for something from the Southwest. And, you know, of course, as soon as she said 3D project, my eyes lit up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I think, I think we can do that. <laughs> I, I think I can put father daughter bonding time. Woohoo! So uh, yeah, so I mean, actually, so it used up some of the supplies I'd kind of gathered for the next rainboard, but it was <laughs> it was definitely worth it because you know it's like you know it was neat because you know I got her to sit down and do a lot of the stuff and you know like every step along the way she actually took part in it, even the uh, using the jigsaw to cut oh nice the, the baseboard for it because it was just put based on a piece of plywood. So you know, but I had her. I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was really kind of neat to have her like help out with that and you know taught her to paint it and stuff like that. So it was it was cool. That, that's probably the most recent terrain piece I've done. <laughs> sure. See now you you can you can get the family involved in in a terrain yeah. build too, which is kind of cool. And that maybe it's not a life skill, but now she knows how to use a jigsaw. I mean, you know, you learn the respect of an exacto blade. Um, you know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of different things that that can go into that build. And you know, your daughter strikes me as being a very very creative individual, and I could see this maybe being a jumping off point to to something else too. So. No, that's really cool that you got to have that opportunity to pass that along to your daughter, too. That's that's really cool. All right. Oh, wow, I'm looking at the time here, and I realize how, how long we're going. So, um, yeah, that, that really covered a lot of the, the questions that I had. So thank you very much, Randy, for that. I really appreciate that. 
for those of you that go to the website of galacticnetcasts.com, you can go to Hello My Name Is, and you can tell us about your favorite character and the gaming system that you play. And when you do, we will feature you on, uh, on an episode and talk about the game and the game system. Uh, highlight your character. You can go to galacticnetcasts.com and click on the Adventure Party page and you will see a link to Hello, My Name Is. And uh, just a brief bit of information. Yes, I do ask for your email address, but I really only do that so that I can send you a frameable uh, certificate for Hello, My Name Is. And uh, we put your character's name on there and uh, you can let people know that you were featured on the Adventure Party podcast because we're, we're huge in Britain or somewhere. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I want to thank Randy for the discussion on uh, building terrain, choosing materials, and how to get into a, a project and, and actually share that joy with your children too. Uh, you can find the Adventure Party by going to galacticnetcast.com and there you can find all of our social media outlets, uh, our YouTube channel, um, our Facebook group page, uh, Google Plus page. Holy crap, we've got a lot of stuff. You can go to galacticnetcast.com and you can find it all. Uh, you can also find the video version which uh, of this particular episode, which I would highly encourage because we did show a lot of pictures of Randy's terrain that he built, and we will also have the link in the show notes. And we've also, I, while we were talking here, I did post it to the Galactic Netcasts group page. So I highly encourage you to take a look at this stuff that Randy worked on. And, uh, maybe that'll fire your imagination for a campaign that you've been itching to do, and, and maybe you too can get into uh, building terrain to kind of breathe life or, or an extra part of visualization of that campaign that you're doing. If you're using iTunes or Stitcher, please take a moment to give us a review and let us know what you think. You know, your review, positive or negative, can help shape the adventure party and help make it a better show. Also, hey, tell a friend. If you think this is an okay show, tell a friend about it. That would be cool. You can leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts.com. How about you email galacticnetcasts at gmail.com? That would be even better. <laughs> galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. Or you can call our number 805-328-3966. And you can leave a message or a uh, text message. You can, uh, you know, rates may apply. Uh, depending on your plan, uh, but you can also text us. Also, you can go to the galacticnetcast.com page, and off on the right-hand side, there is a plug-in that we've added where if you have a microphone attached to your computer, you can click on that, and you can just leave us a little voice message and let us know what your thoughts are. If you think the show sucks, if you think the show is pretty cool, you can just let us know either way. We'd really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for joining the Adventure Party, and may your characters never die, and your adventures always be epic. You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.galacticnetcasts.com. <laughs>